Thank you, Pastor Nate. Uh, Church, how are we doing? Oh, okay, okay, okay. This side of the room, we're feeling pretty good. This side of the room, I'm not sure yet. We're, we're still making up our minds. Kids got you down? Yeah? Okay. Kids, kids people are on this side of the room because that's where the kids wing is, you know? So there you go. Uh, hey, so today I want us to... That, my voice just cracked. What just happened? Oh, gosh. I'm still not out of puberty. It happened years ago. Uh, hey, so today I want us to start uh, by uh, going through a pass- the passage that we're going to be talking through today in Matthew 20, and then uh, we'll pray and get, get into it because we got a lot to do. So uh, let read the story with me. It's a story from the life, uh, from the life of Jesus and uh, an interaction he has with uh, his disciples and uh, people around his family of his disciples. So let's check out this story real quick. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Let me clear this up because there's a lot of words and family trees get mixed up. Okay. Uh, Zebedee had two sons, James and John. He actually had three sons. There was another John. But James and John, two of them were Jesus' disciples, okay? Uh, Two of them were James and John, the disciples who followed Jesus. And so their mother is approaching Jesus with her sons. Clear? We're all on the same page. There we go. All right? So they approach to ask a favor of him. What is it that you want? Jesus asks. And she says... Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. And then Jesus responds. He says, you do not know what you are asking. Can can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, when the the other ten disciples heard about this, they they were indignant. They were frustrated. They were kind of envious a little bit uh, uh, with the two brothers. And and so Jesus called them all together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guys, today I hope, I hope and I pray that we can remember that we follow a God who does not stand idly by watching but is active to impact his creation by sending his son down to die on a cross for us. And he is still at work today. Do we believe that church? Come on, come on. It's 11. I know. Come on, come on. Guys, we celebrate because this is exciting. This is exciting things to be a part of. God is working in this world and we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. We got work to do today. Father, I I thank you so much for how you're moving in this room, and how you are calling each and every single one of us. I pray that this message today can be heard clearly, that your words would impact us and show us a clear direction, a direction of where you're calling, a direction that you are, where you are moving. Father, help us to be the people that you always created us and intended us to be. Father, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right. So it was my uh, junior year of high school, and uh, I had just gotten my driver's license. Yes, I got my driver's license my junior year because every single normal American teenager gets their license at 16 years old, not 14 years old. We clear? No? Okay. You people. I, I think about whenever I was 14, and I'm like, that's terrifying. I can't believe people would allow teenagers that are 14 years old to drive a car. That, that's scary. Uh, so I can't imagine starting to drive whenever I was 14. But I get my license and I'm excited. You know why I'm excited? Because I get to go, I get freedom, I get my own car, I get to drive around wherever I want. However, that excitement kind of slapped me in the face whenever my dad comes up to me and he says, he, he says the three words that every single parent of a new driver in the house says to your child. You know what that is? Get a job, right? Get a job. It's time, it's time to start making the big bucks, right? Because you got big, big, big boy bills to pay, right? And, and, so, and so he tells me, get a job. And I was like, I don't want to get a job. I, I got so much on my plate, right? I, I got school. I got sports. I got church at the time because uh, I was heavily active in the church I was going to. I mean, I had so much going on. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to have a job. And so I, I kind of kind of just ignored it for a while until my dad was finally like kind of pushing the gun enough. He was contacting managers for me. <laughs> they were contacting me. It was, yeah. So anyway, I decided, fine, I'll, I'll give in. I, I started, uh, I applied to work at a restaurant called Pasquale's. Now, R Pasquale's was my favorite restaurant in, in the town we grew up in. Pasqu but not only was it my favorite restaurant, it was everybody's favorite restaurant. Pasquale's was like the hub, the hub restaurant of, of Maysville, the town I grew up in. Everybody loved it for two reasons. One, the food was amazing. And two, the food was cheap. So there you go. The dynamic duo. Everybody loved Pasquale's, which means Pasquale's was always packed. It was always super busy. And because it was super busy, the waiters and waitresses at this restaurant couldn't keep up. They, they, they had a hard time keeping up. They, so many times, they, food was just piling up in the windows. And, and because food was piling up in the windows for so many different tables, there was so much confusion uh, among which foods going to which table, which sandwiches specifically this has no mayo. You know what I mean? And by the time they get everything sorted out, the food is cold, you know? And it's like, it, it takes a ton of time, and then it's on top of it, it's just cold. It, it makes for bad service. It does. And so there was a problem, and in comes my position. So I get hired on at Pasquale's to be a food runner. That was my title, food runner. My sole job and only job was to take food in the window to tables, so that waiters and waitresses could focus on other things like making salads, making sure drinks are refilled, making sure keeping up a positive environment in the, in the area. And, and so with my job, meaning my, my job just to run food to tables means they only needed me whenever times were the busiest. And so my work hours were every single Friday and Saturday from 4 to 10, and then every single Sunday from 12 to 3. Now, Friday and Saturday were great work nights. I, I really enjoyed the teams I got to work with. However, Sundays was a different story. I, I didn't enjoy working on Sundays as much. Now, to be clear, the reason why I didn't enjoy working on Sundays is because of a lot of personal things. Like, at the time, uh, Sunday was just not an ideal day for me to be working. Uh, at the time, we were, we were in a church plant. We were planning a church, and my youth group was heavily involved. And so we were waking up 
at five in the morning every single Sunday to get up to go set up a church inside a school gymnasium where we would then have church, tear down, and then I would go to work. And so I would wake up at 5 a.m. just to get home about 3.30 p.m. It was a long Sunday for me. It was a long day. I would just come home and I would just crash. I was just, I was done. Forget football. I didn't care if football was on. I didn't care what my fantasy team looked like. I just wanted to crash. I just wanted to fall down and go to sleep. Sunday was not the ideal day, but it turns out Sunday wasn't the ideal day for many of the other waiters and waitresses either. They, many of them did not want to work Sunday afternoons as well. Now, I, I think about this logically, right? Waiters and waitresses, they make about $3 an hour, roughly, okay, $3 an hour. It's, it's that low because you're banking on your waiters and waitresses being able to make a lot more money from tips, from receiving tips. And, and, so, and so they get that lower wage makes sense, okay? And so, as a waiter or waitress, I'm thinking, I need to fight, I need to make sure that I get in to work the busiest times, right? Because the the busier times that you work in, the more money that you'll make, because your money is solely dependent on how many people you can get in and get out of your tables. Speedy, speedy service it means more money for you. And, and so as, as a waiter or waitress, I'm thinking, I want the busiest times because I want to be able to make as much money as I possibly want. But whenever Sunday, more, whenever Sunday afternoon came into question, nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted to work Sunday afternoons. And over time, when talking to my coworkers, hearing slight brief comments that were made on Sunday afternoons, I realized why. And there was two, re- two main reasons. One, they usually weren't tipped that well on Sunday afternoons. They just weren't. And two, whenever combined with the usual poor attitudes of the people that they were having to deal with at the tables, it just wasn't worth it. None of them wanted to do that. It wasn't worth their time. If they were going to have to put up with the crap, and not, get, and not have anything to show for it, it wasn't worth their time. And, and, and I remember being a teenager and thinking to myself, like, this is a problem, right? This is, this is definitely a problem. After Sunday afternoon, we're talking about the after-church crowd, right? We're talking about the people who have just been in church. And, and these are the worst people to serve. These are the worst people who, these are the worst people to deal with. And I'm like, this is wrong, right? Like, I think about the church, and and we should be the people with the best attitudes, right? We should be the people with, with the most love. We should be the people who are joyfully generous people, right? I mean, we just talked about that a couple weeks ago. We come together every single Sunday morning to be filled, right? To be filled so that we can empty, to be re inspired by God's work and presence in our lives. And then sometimes we just turn around literally not even an hour afterwards and completely lose all sense of goodwill and purpose for why we, why we gather together. Honestly, uh, a piece of advice that I would give to anybody, anybody, any teenager, you, like a piece of advice I would give you, every single one of you should work in the restaurant business at some point in your life. If not the restaurant business, some business where you are actively serving people of serving people at a, at a lower standard um, because it's really humbling. 
It's a humbling experience. And, and, what, and what I took from it, and, and unfortunately what we, we got to experience from it, is just how unappreciative people can be to those to people who serve them. It gives you a whole new perspective on how you look at a waiter or waitress at a restaurant because it's this nagging feeling in the back of your mind of how you understood it. See, in the restaurant business, there's this, in the restaurant world, there's, there's an understanding that if you are a server, you are immediately less than the customer at the table because your job is to serve them. And to be serving them means that you are below them. Now, this is the standard of any sort of serving role. This is, this is what the nature of it. But this is also the nature of any sort of entry-level job position, right? With any entry-level job position, you go in and you do the lower, you do the grunt work because you do that to, to suffice for the business, to make the uppers happy, but to also make, make the customers happy. And whenever we go into these entry-level job positions, what's the goal? To move up the ladder. Right? We, we, we start at these entry-level positions so that we can move up, we can get promotions, we can get raises, and we can move out of positions of servanthood into positions of authority, positions where we are not looked at as less than others, but as people who are more above others. And, and so whenever this mother of two of Jesus' disciples come up to Jesus and approach Jesus, this is exactly what she's looking for. This is exactly what she's asking for. She says, hey, my sons, my sons are doing the dirty work with you. Whenever the time comes, Jesus, can, can they get the promotion? Can, can they come and sit at your right and left hand? Can they, can they get the promotion that I feel that they deserve? She was trying to secure a better status for her sons. And Jesus, Jesus I, I love how he responds. He, he says, he says, um, do you know why I'm here? I don't think, I don't think you know what you're asking, woman. Like, I, I, you're kind of crazy. This is insane. Why are you even asking? You don't know what you're saying. Do you know why I'm here? Can, you, can your boys, can they follow through with this, with what I'm about to do? And James and John just respond. They're like, yes, yes, we can do it. I, I almost imagine this scene where uh, this mother, this over-controlling mother, okay, overprotective mother, is dragging her sons by the ear straight to the presence of Jesus. Like, these are Jesus' own disciples, and they are not approaching Jesus because it, deep down inside them, they're like, I don't know if we should bring this up. This probably isn't something we should talk about, right? And, but the mother comes up and is like, here, Jesus, these two sons of mine, Put the, put, promote them, please. Put, put them up there. Put them up there. And, and, the, and so Jesus says, can, can, can they do what I, can they hold the drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? And, and both of them say, yes, we can. But I don't think it was like a, yes, we can do it, Jesus. I think it was more like a, uh, mom, what's the right answer? What's the right answer, mom? Oh, oh, okay. Yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Mom said so. So yes, Jesus, we can do that. And Jesus, Jesus comes back to me and says, don't worry, fellas. <laughs> like, you're, you're going to drink from my cup. That's inevitable. But what you're asking me to do is not something within my power to do. What you're asking me to do is not something within my power to do. Now, this is really important because we need to look at how Jesus is portraying himself right here. 
Really, does Jesus have really does Jesus have that sort of power? Sure. I mean, he's a third of the Trinity. I mean, he's God in human form. I think Jesus has some sway. I, I think he has ability to pull some strings and make certain things happen. I think he can. But but whenever Jesus responds the way he does, he 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 he, he looks at them and he says, I don't think you guys understand. What Jesus understood is that whenever it comes to his kingdom, status is irrelevant. Whenever it comes to the kingdom of heaven, who you are, what standing you are, is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And so Jesus is kind of given a backside saying to this, but, but he never really says no, right? He never says no, they can never do that, which kind of sends these other 10 disciples that are watching this happen kind of like in a, in a little hissy fit, right? This is, these boys, I can't believe they're stealing this position that I'm fighting for. You know, there's competition within the workplace. There's competition to get the promotion, right? These disciples were feeling the same way. And, and basically what Jesus notices is that this woman, this mother, has come in and she has completely put a rift in between this team of people that Jesus is specifically bringing together to be a source of unity in the world, Right? Jesus is intending that these 12 disciples could be unified in their mission and calling whenever Jesus is gone. And so Jesus notices this rift that's being developed by this mother coming into the picture. And and so he says, all right, boys, we need to get together. We need to talk. We need to huddle up. We need to talk about this. And, And he says, you know what you guys know and what you experience every day is that the Gentiles lord over people. That, that high officials, that Jewish high officials exercise authority over you and over everyone. But not so with you. Not so with you. This is not how you are going to be. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you needs to become low. Who wants, whoever wants to become great needs to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as, G, just as uh, the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you guys have an understanding among you to fight for your status in this world. This do not fall into this trap of thinking. This is not how my kingdom works. This is not what it's about. Because in my kingdom, in my kingdom, it's the ones who lower themselves. It's the ones who think less of themselves and more of others. As I have also lowered myself and thought of you before myself. It's these people who will be considered the greatest. Your greatness in your faith is not based on your status with God. It is not solely based on your status with God, but by how you serve those around you. I think what Jesus understood was, and what he was trying to show the disciples is if that you're going to operate within this status mindset, you are not going to accomplish what I have called you to do. 
Kingdom living, kingdom living does not require a status mindset. You need to change the way that you think. In order for your faith to be an effective faith, you need to change the way that you think. Today, we are continuing a series that we've been going through uh, called Vintage Faith, where we've been exploring seven habits of effective Christians. And today, we are not talking about serving. We talked about serving last week. Today, we are talking about organic outreach, natural outreach, the way in which, and all of us who follow Christ, we understand this. All of us who have experienced him, who follow him, who believe in him, we understand and we live and we should live out that we should go and make disciples of all nations. That's the call of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, to make our faith an infectious faith, one that spreads, one that people will see and want to be a part of right? This is, this is our call as people, to spread the message of Jesus. We want as many people as possible to enter into the kingdom of heaven with us by the end of the time. And by golly, I want to do every single thing I possibly can to make sure as many people are with me as possible. But whenever we look at the church in America today, it's, it's in decline. Whenever we look at the passion of people about what God is doing in the world, it's on decline. And the thing, and you know what stands in the way of this? You know what stands in the way of this for the church to grow? It's us. We are the agents of our own demise. Because, I mean, if you go to unchurched people today, if you go to a lot of unchurched people today, they, they, you would ask them what they think of the church. They would not think of it as a place of humility, love, and forgiveness. Instead, they look at it as a place of self-righteousness, judgmentalness, and bitterness. One of the, one of the most widely regarded, uh, not secular, he was religious, but not Christian minds of the world, Gandhi, he, he said this. He said, I like your Christ. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I immediately think of a, a quote from the start of a DC Talk song. Any, any DC Talk fans in here? Come on, where are my Jesus freaks at? Raise them, raise them proud. Yeah, there you go. Jesus freaks, there we go. Uh, so there's a song. <laughs> there, there's a uh, DC Talk song called What If I Stumble? And at the very beginning of the song is a quote by Brendan Manning. And I, I love this quote. It says, uh, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If you want to know what your greatest source for outreach is, it's your life. It's the way in which your life works with the Spirit of God. But at the same time, this is also the thing that can destroy you, is if you do not engage in it. The thing that, destroy, that can destroy our outreach is if we do not love people well, if we don't treat people well. And whenever we don't do that, people look at the church and want nothing to do with it. However, if we let the fruits of the Spirit like, like uh, joy, peace, forbearance come in to be a part of who we are, to let God's Spirit transform us from the inside out, to give us the fruit that we need to be the attractive people of Christ. Our faith is meant to be an attractive one. That's what the fruits of the Spirit give you. 
people begin to, could begin to look at the church and think, this is something that I could get behind. This is something that I could do. Because here's, here's what these quotes point to, and this is the reality that we find, is that people look to the church to be the reflection of who they follow. People look to the church to be the reflection of Christ. And if that reflection is not what they like, then they don't want a part of it. And Christ has a message that people want to hear. It's a convicting one. It's a convicting one, but it is one that is love and that every, that every single person wants to be a part of. It is something that is attractive to people. And, and many times today, people look at the church and they see bitterness and self-righteousness and they see something they don't want to be a part of. I say self-righteousness because here's what we'll so often do, right? Um, what, what we, we as Christians, we people who follow Christ, who follow Jesus, have committed our lives to him, we have a standard that we live by, right? We have values, rules, things that we implement in our lives that because our faith dictates it. Whenever we look at the teachings of Paul, James, Jesus, there are things that we are told to do, things that we are told to maintain in our lives in order to live a godly life. And so we, hide, we hold these things as value. And we try to live these out as best as we can, right? What happens so often is that we have this expectation for ourselves, and we so easily transfer that same expectation to others, to other people who don't know Jesus, other people who, wouldn't follow, who don't follow Jesus and have no idea how to follow those standards. Can we, can we acknowledge that this, this, is, this is wrong, right? Like, this is, this is crazy that we would even have this assumption. This, this would be like asking a soccer player who only played soccer to go and play tennis and become a master in tennis like this. They're two completely different sports. They're, they're two completely different things. Picking up any sport, it doesn't matter how naturally athletic you are, there's going to be a learning curve to it. There's going to be time that you have to invest in it to become the, the best version of yourself within that sport. And the same is true for our faith and obedience. We, we can't have the expectation for unchurched people to immediately follow the rules. They have no reason to. They have no reason to follow the rules of Jesus because they aren't following him. But once they do make the decision to follow Jesus, if they do make the decision to follow Jesus, here's where we can start shaping and molding and helping bring into a way of living that God calls us to live. Um, I, uh, we, and so what we have to do as the church, what we have to do, do as the church is we have to humbly adapt to the needs of those that we want to reach. The Apostle Paul was brilliant at this. I mean, Paul is, I mean, known as the outreach guru, okay? If you want to know anything about outreach, you talk to Paul. You listen to his letters. You listen to the way he wrote. He wrote. In the first letter he wrote to the church in Corinth, he says this. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I have become weak to win the weak. To be, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul reiterates this idea, reiterates this idea. Guys, you need to lower yourselves, lower your standards 
lower your expectations for everyone in order to reach everyone. Although we have been set free by the blood of Christ, we need to make ourselves slaves to those who have not experienced that freedom. We need to serve in the lives of those who have not. So that by the grace, so that, so that in order to do this, you do this so that the grace and love that we have felt from God can be showed to them and can inspire them of a Christ that they want to follow. What, what I love about this passage is that it completely maps out Paul's strategy. It says, listen, you go to people and you develop a relationship with them. You, have, you develop a relationship with them. You develop into become something similar to who they are. You bond with them. You create ways to bond with them. You become similar to them. You engage in relationship with them. And then you help, you have your influence help shape them to become who you want, who you desire for them to become, who God desires for them to become. But at the same time, not sacrificing your values under Christ's law. We do not conform to the ways of the world. We do not engage in ways of, ways of sin, but we are to be a source of light, a source of hope in the midst of the world, right? Light is pointless whenever it's just surrounded by other light, right? Light does its work best in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of others who need to hear and feel that light. Um, this next week, we're going to have a great opportunity for you guys. Um, we, we, part of our values is to reach wide. When are, we want to reach as wide as possible. There are 28,000-ish people in Reno County who do not know Jesus. And what we like to do as a church is set up different events that help bring them here, but also help engage, help you guys to engage and connect with them. Because we believe your ability to connect and develop relationships, like Paul said, is crucial in order to our out, for our outreach. And so coming up next week, we have Trunk or Treat. And this is way more than just passing out candy to people. This, this is way greater than that. Instead, we get to welcome, last year we had about 3,000 people show up. 3,000-ish people come and just gain, get candy. And you know what? I want all of you guys to be there. We want all of you to be there. We want you to be there to help pass out candy. We need a lot more trunks. If you, are, if you are interested in designing a trunk or not even designing a trunk, you just bring a car, park it there, and pass out candy. Be a face. Be a face for people to see. Pass out candy, compliment children as they walk by within their costumes. Uh, you can meet new families, maybe even engage in conversation with them that could lead to an invite for them to come to church, join us on Sundays. But the most important thing that you do in this time is that you get to advertise an attitude and a love that is changed by Christ. You get to advertise who God is to these people, to the unchurched people of the community. That's why this is so important. It's silly, it's fun, but it has so much greater meaning than that. 
And so if you'd like to be a part of it, I invite you to go on to the hub, sign up to, to host a trunk. We'd love to have your trunk be a part of that and for you to help pass out candy and show uh, this community how much we are for them and how much we care about them. Because your, uh, because your, the, the ability that you have to show the love of Christ to others can happen just in a smiling face. Guys, what we need to, what we need to hold on to and what we need to realize is that you are an advertisement for God's grace. Your life is an advertisement for God's grace. Your life is an advertisement for God's grace. And so often I think we forget this. Our ability to reach thousands of people in Reno County is completely dependent on how we live a transformed life, how completely dependent on how we live a spirit-filled life. And, and so we need to ask the question, what does my life look like? How am I portrayed to the people that are unchurched? Am I looked at as being a little cruel? Or am I looked at as being a person who extends love and has a great attitude and a great outlook on life? Am I a person who looks at God's creation and notices that this is something that I should, I should work in, something that I desire to be better, is the advertisement that you're giving of God, is it a good one? For, for many of the waiters and waitresses that they encountered, that many waiters and waitresses that I worked with at Pasquale's, they had a very hard time even entertaining the idea of coming to church with me on Sundays. They had a very hard time even, even agreeing to this, to even want to come because they knew who church people were. They knew how church people were. <laughs> and, and, they, and they got the message clear that if the church doesn't care about me, then I don't care about the church. Guys, it's time for this to change. It's time for us to be better. It's time for us to start reshaping how Jesus is perceived in this world. It is time for us to reach out and invest into the lives of others so that we can invite them in to experience God's presence. We just went through this with our high schoolers. We, we, we went through this and we said, well, there are 1,640 students in Reno County that we want to, know, want to get to know Jesus. That's how many are unchurched in the county. And we said, we want to reach them. So what's our, what's our plan? What are we going to do? And, it, and it's simple. We said, we're going to start by investing out, by serving our community around us. And then we're going to invite them in to experience God's presence. And then we can, so that as they experience God's presence, they can be inspired up to notice the importance of his grace in their life. And we, I had them do a whole hand motion with it too. It was great. They, they love doing it every single week. They're in the back, they're doing it right now. There you go. So uh, I know every single one of us. I know every single one of us have people in our lives who we would love to see come to know Jesus. And some, some people that are closest to you, somebody at work, somebody in your family, one of your friends that you hang out with or that you don't hang out with anymore, but you used to hang out with a lot, okay? And I ask the question, why wouldn't you want these people in your life to follow Jesus? Why not? Why would you not want that? Why would you not want them to be a part of this? Why would you not want them to live into these values that you so desperately want to live by? I, I think of Crew's future. I, I, think of, I think of my son Crew, and I think of the teachers that he's going to have as he grows up. I would love for every single one of Crew's teachers to be somebody who follows Christ, who can give him an influence of what it looks like to love and care for the people of the world. I desperately, I would love for that to happen. I would love for every single person that's in my life to follow Jesus. Look to the people closest to you. 
Look to the people closest to you. Invest in that relationship so that you can invite them in so that they can be inspired by God's grace. We invest by serving. We invest by serving in them because that is how we display the love of God so that we can invite them in to experience God's presence. This is what we do here on Sunday mornings, guys. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. In this time together, we come together and we, bring, we experience God's presence together. We get to worship him and we get to hear from him together. We allow his spirit to flow and move in this room. Some of us don't even realize that it's happening, but God is on the move in here right now. What we do in here is important. And so we invite them in to experience God's presence and how he's working so that they can be inspired to see how important God's grace is for them. That God's grace, that God's gospel, that what Jesus has done is sufficient for them. I, uh, there, there's a parable that Jesus tells back in Matthew, going back to Matthew 20, okay, all the way back. There's a parable that Jesus tells right before this, this story uh, where this woman hops in. And this parable that Jesus tells, parables are basically just made-up stories that Jesus gave um, to help illustrate a point. And this parable that he gives helps explain the kingdom. And I think it so directly applies here. So let's, let's hop in and I'll, t- I'll, sh- I'll show you what I'm talking about. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who, sent, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. A denarius was just like a day's wage a day's wage of money. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and at about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they said. He, he, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, when evening came and all was done, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who uh, were hired first, they expected to receive more because they saw this. But each of them also only received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired, they, they began to grumble. They said, these who were hired last only worked one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered to one of them and he said, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do with my own money what I wish? Or are you just envious? Because I, am, because I am generous. And then Jesus throws his tag in at the end. He says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. This parable is a metaphor, a metaphor for how we come to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? All of us living this life, living this life, we are hired workers for the harvest, right? There are people out there, there's a harvest out there, there's work to be done. 
We are workers in the field to do where Christ is calling us to go. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we, we come to this point where every single person is waiting in line to receive their prize, to receive the gift of eternal life. And, and those who were, those who have followed Jesus most of their life are in the back of the line. And those who probably got in at the last minute are at the front of the line. And I asked this question in my mind because, honestly, for me, it's not even a fairness thing. Like, like whatever happens, happens. That's fine. My question is, is why is there a line? Why is there a line? Like, God could just make everybody just pop into heaven right away. Why, why is there a line to get into the kingdom? And specifically, why would we be last. And, and then I thought about this, the standing of a line and, and standing in line to get to heaven and I get to look forward and I get to see this person who I invested time into. I get to see this other person that I, that I also invested time into. I see people that they invested their time into I can see my impact. I can see God's impact through me in the line in front of me. This is why we go last, so that we can be shown how your work in God's presence was done. See, even in the prospect of eternity, it's not as much about what God is doing in you, but also about what God has done through you, what God is currently doing through you. I believe God has amazing plans for this community. I believe he has amazing things in store for Reno County, and he would love to use you. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. Honestly, God's going to do what he wants to do either way. He'll go around you if he needs to, but he wants you to be part of it. He invites you to be part of it because he knows at the end of the day, whenever you are standing in line, I would love to see thousands of people in front of me in line. And, and I asked the question to myself, and I asked this question to you as well, who, who would you be most excited about to see in front of you in line? Who, who's, that, who's somebody that you can think of right now that you'd be like, I would love if this person would be in front of, in front of line in, for me in the kingdom of heaven. That way I could see and witness them Receive the gift that I so desperately want for them. Maybe, just maybe, God's calling you to start there. Maybe God's calling you to develop that relationship so that you can be an influencer in that life. Let me pray for us and we can get going. Father, we, uh, we uh, love you so much. And... We have so many things to be grateful for, how you teach us, how, how you sent your son to die for us, this forgiveness, this grace that you offer to us. God, you offer us a freedom beyond anything we could comprehend, a freedom beyond all the things that, that, that we would try and achieve for ourselves. Father, we, uh, 
we just submit ourselves to you today. That, that in talking about this and, and talking about how we can be your hands and feet of this world, how we can make the impact you are calling us to make, that we would not let ourselves stand in the way. That we would be people who would, who would let your spirit flow through us. That we would be the people to let your spirit show us joy, to show us peace, to show us kindness to every single person that we would encounter, to show us a love for the people outside of these, outside of these four walls that only you know. Father, move us the way that, we want, that you want us to be moved. Because in the end of the day, it's all about you. It's all about how many people, how much of creation we can bring back to see who you are, to enter back into the kingdom with you. So God, that's our purpose. That's our goal. And we ask that you move us to be a part of your mission. Encourage us. Give us, give us boldness. Father, it's such an easy thing. It's such an easy concept to go develop a relationship so that we can bring, invite them in. But sometimes it's so hard. Sometimes it, it feels so awkward it can feel out of place. And even today in a world where we, we don't really know how to proceed because we've already, because a wall's already been put up between us, help us to overcome those obstacles. Help us to overcome all the obstacles that we have set up and put in place so that your name above all can be glorified. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I want to remind you, we have Trunk or Treat coming up next week. Please make plans to be there. We'd love for your shining face to be there. So thank you so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Thank you.